Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all this evening? I hope that everybody, wherever you are in the world, is feeling a little bit happy, or maybe a lot happy, I hope, in any case, and that you are feeling love in life, because that's something really that all of us yearn for, each and every one of us, everything that's been created, every plant, every living being really, is something that desires to have that love in our life. And yet, at these times, sometimes we forget that actually it is that that keeps that heart of ours beating that keeps us motivated and inspired to do those things that really mean something to us. We can spend really a lifetime doing things that don't give us pleasure or joy or that excited feeling that we have a reason to be on this planet. And I speak for myself, firstly, that is something that I try to achieve in every part of my life, albeit not so easily, I have to say. But find your reason for being on this planet. That's one of the most important things. And once we find our reason, everything else in our life opens up and becomes clear. Now, tonight, here in the United Kingdom, I am absolutely delighted to welcome my guest, who is the very, very lovely Suzanne Morgan. Suzanne is an expert in structural, classical, biodynamic, and cranial osteopathy. Her varied and interesting life has led her to experience varied paths and soul-searching journeys along the way. Suzanne first studied engineering and then found herself on a biophysics degree. She then travelled around the globe whilst working as a ski instructor, a walking guide and a counsellor in between all those moments. One day she had her moment of epiphany and knew that osteopathy was calling her name. Osteopathy for her seemed the ideal intertwining for everything that she had done previously. Her engineering, simple mechanics, 
love of science, biophysics degree, social work, counselling and spiritual appreciation of who we all are suddenly came together as one. Not forgetting that she rather likes people and wants to take away their pain. How lovely is that? Suzanne works structurally, cranially and biodynamically, always feeling how a patient's body responds and changes with treatment as they journey towards better health. And she has quite a fascinating life story, I have to tell you. And today, she shares it with us. Welcome, dear Suzanne. Hello, Mimi. Hello, Suzanne. <laughs> Thank oh. you so much. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. <laughs> oh, for a wonderful lady, take a little bow now. I'm bowing. Bow. I'm bowing. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I've had a, a busy day today. I've got some guests staying with me and we've been showing them around, around our lovely neck of the woods and yes. uh, trying to get the banking done. Just never easy nowadays. It's very hard to get uh, your bank to transfer money. Um, if it's, if it's a lot of it, they, they, they need your passport, they need your mother, they need your driving okay. license, yes, yes. they need a sworn affidavit. Oh, goodness me. Back and forth. I know, it's not easy, is it? I never thought, you know, <laughs> that we would be able to walk into a bank with a mask on and ask for money and tell them to hand over the cash. I never thought that that day would arrive, but now it seems <laughs> that's quite the norm. No, they're quite cross. <laughs> they hand them out at the door. Oh, <laughs> You've goodness. got a mask up. They're <laughs> <laughs> coming in here with your face showing. <laughs> it's okay to show that Kashnikov, but that's, <laughs> you know, that's about as far as it goes. <laughs> well, it's so lovely. I am absolutely delighted. Suzanne to have you here on the show and it's a delight really and I'm really really looking forward you know and especially I have to say to the listeners that this lady is a fantastic osteopath but not only that she is a superb healer and I'm honoured to have you here. Thank you very much Mimi. And, you know, I've been listening to these podcasts. You do a fantastic thing here. This has been wonderful that you're, you're putting these out. And I've had some great, great listens. Um, it's, it's wonderful to have all these people sharing their life and their interests and, and stuff. It's, it's really fascinating work. So well done you, Mimi. This is Aww. brilliant. Thank Good you. Work. Thank you, Good Suzanne. work in the world. Oh. Well, I have to say it's all down to the guests, because if I didn't have the guests, then I wouldn't really have anything to do. But um, thank you anyway. That's very kind of you, I have to say. Now, tell us, you have such a varied life and you've done so many different things. And I know that, um, you know, primarily you're an osteopath, but that is not all that you do. And there's so many different facets to your skills. but. If we go back a bit, and we always do this, tell us a little bit about how this journey of yours of being a therapist, a healer, how did that all begin in life? Uh, the origin story. 
Yes. <laughs> um, I, do you know what? I wish I wish I had a really, really marvellously dramatic story to tell you. Um, but it's probably quite similar to a lot of us. So maybe that parallel of, of journey of how you kind of um, almost bumble from one, seemingly bumble from one thing to another until you finally get somewhere and you look back on it and you go, wow, that, that actually now makes sense. It, it, it all seems really connected now from this perspective perspective mm. um but uh yeah with the osteopathy I got to a point in one of my jobs um at one point I was a social worker and I worked in residential social work mm -hmm. and it was it was quite stressful work. Um, I was good at it. I enjoyed working with people and I could hold a space where they could feel safe. And uh, there was lots of challenging behaviour and aggression going on um, mm -hmm. that, that needed help, that needed a safe space help for. But it was also quite a, um, a stressful job. Yeah. And... Uh, I'd started to develop a bit of a, a kind of a meditation practice and qigong. I'd, I'd worked quite hard on trying to de-stress after this and try to balance myself so that I was I was full up again by the time I came back into my my job. Mm -hmm. um, and I found myself driving to work one day. And having this little um, little kind of dialogue going on in my head. So you, you, you know how we've got our observer. So we've got our observer mind in our head. And then mm -hmm. maybe we've got like a little table where many other little voices sit around and they discuss, you know, yeah. please, please tell me other people have this. <laughs> not just me I'm sure they do <laughs> the many voices <laughs> the delegation of the United yeah. Nations yes yeah one of them's normally my mother's voice <laughs> and, 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 and the other voice and they, they were kind of negotiating how they could get out and go to work that day um because it had been quite stressful there'd been a lot of needed work um there'd probably been some some attacks or something like that I can't quite remember but I, it was quite 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 a stressful period of this particular job and um, they started to negotiate how we could have a very minor car crash and they started eyeing up you know that tree <laughs> ah. at a certain speed just mm -hmm. just not not too fast just enough for a bit of a fender bumper but you know then I wouldn't have to go in and I wouldn't have, maybe have to go in that day. And uh, maybe if I did it well enough, I might not have to go in that week. And uh, my observer started to pay more attention to this and was like, okay, this is a clear signal. Hmm. You need to stop this job. <laughs> you need to start planning, planning your yeah. way out. Um, you need to kind of maybe ring in sick that day. I can't remember whether I did or didn't. I just remember this this kind of very little 
window back in time of this this moment of realizing it's got to, I can't be doing this forever. And then, well, what what else? What else was I going to do? So um, up until that point, I had studied uh, engineering and I had a, a really good um, background with my dad. He was a mechanic and an engineer, so I was quite used to being underneath the hood of cars, helping him do up uh, insurance write-offs when we were we were younger, which is a good thing now. But back back then in the day, it was you know um, mm. a little bit more acceptable. <laughs> and and also, I I had all this uh, science engineering behind me, and I've ended up in social work, hating my job. Good at it, but hated my job. So I quit and I went traveling around the world. And during that time, I was able to really start to get in touch with my spiritual side, really discover who I was without the clutter of life around me, to be Mm -hmm. able to really develop an ability to listen and at the same time kind of waiting for something to drop out of the sky into my head as my my next thing that I should do and why did you decide sorry why did you decide to go around the world what was the initial inspiration for that oh because I could (laughs) because you could could, yeah yeah, I don't think there were just why wouldn't anyone if you've got a chance so because some people do it you know they go to India and they do this whole pilgrimage to find themselves it was it a little bit like that uh yes I think I'm I do remember at the time saying it'd be nice to find out who I am not not Suzanne the daughter not Suzanne the social worker not Suzanne all of these other hats that I I uh, wear but actually whoever I want to be because you you can like reinvent yourself when you go into different new towns new countries you can play around with who you're going to be and uh, discover different sides of you I think that's more my playfulness coming out actually or my (laughs) wannabe actor actress coming out give me (laughs) give me a good hat and a coat (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I will embody that person and what was that and what was that um program Suzanne and tonight Jeremy was it I'm Jeremy to, even I don't know <laughs> but I know what you mean I'm going to be Cher yes <laughs> so did you go with Cher where's my wig thank you <laughs> oh dear <laughs> So you ended up on a round the world trip and that was for how long? A year? Yeah, that was for a year. So the, the standard, pull it out of the bag, ticket round the world, uh, you pay your monies, you leave this airport and 12 months later, if you don't get back through the airport terminal, you turn into a pumpkin or something. But the ticket runs out and you have to pay an extraordinary amount of money to get back. So, um, and you get this ability to tick off the countries. You know, you can go high uh-huh. or low. So you, you can kind of go through, you've got to somehow make 
this journey, you can only go one way round. You can't go back on yourself and you get a certain amount of stops and you've got to kind of make it back to England within 12 months. It's like a game. <laughs> ah, okay. Because I knew a friend of mine did that and um, she had to follow the route. You can't go off route. It has to be where it says on the ticket. Oh, no, I wouldn't have liked that. No, that, that, that would make me nervous. So, like, I think, say she was going to Panama, but ended up, I don't know, in Timbuktu. She couldn't do that. But I'd want something that I was able to do, something yeah. quite as mad as that. Yeah, no, this had a certain flexibility. So you could, as long as it was travelling in the same direction, Mm -hmm. um and uh, you know I, I think there were probably a limit on the long-haul flights so you could maybe say easily go from uh Australia to New Zealand not a problem um uh -huh. okay. but you couldn't kind of go backwards across the ocean uh, backwards across the the ocean uh okay. to, to like oops I forgot Europe and then head back there to do Europe and then back off to the USA again Okay, so, okay. So there was some sort of um an itinerary going on in the yeah. background. Yeah. Okay. And did yeah. you go alone or did you go with other people? No, I started off with my my housemate. So an old school friend of mine. Um she, we were living together um when I had the social work job. She did something else and we we were um sharing the house and we both planned. We both put our heads together and figured out how much the money uh, money would be and uh, planned and put our savings away. And um, if it wasn't for her, I'd have never really have gone because she was so fantastically organised. She would just tell me what it is I need to do, <laughs> where I need to be, and I'd be, yeah, right. But then once, once we kind of got, got travelling, halfway around the world, we, we decided that it was good time to do a bit of traveling on our own because when you're part of a couple mm -hmm. um you can sometimes be a bit difficult to break into for other people around even though I'm I'm very open and I'm very welcoming and I'm fascinated by people I'm a real nosy person so I I come come to me come to me I will always love to have a chat in the youth hostels etc but it, it's easier if you're not part of a couple sometimes you're, you're yes, even more approachable yeah. and you yeah, take, take more risks mm, um, mm. And, and that's why so we decided uh yeah around about australia i think we started going going on our own so halfway around so i did mm -hmm. half the world Holding holding hands with my mate and then the other half on my own. That was very brave of you. Yes, yes. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you brave, finish that sentence. <laughs> to be brave, you, you have to have a good good handle on the um you you have to fear stuff in order to be brave because you have to overcome it. Mm. And I think mm. back then I was fairly fearless because um, I just had this this real 
strong, intuitive sense that life is just going to guide me. It's going to pick me up and place me in front of the people that I need to be in front of and take me down the path that I need to go. Um, and it and it did. I had I had some real good adventures, and by being that open, I think what's that thing about saying yes to everything? Yes, experiment. <laughs> do it for do it for a day. Do it for a day with a seven year old. <laughs> you won't be doing and, that again. <laughs> yeah, no, cost a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and how does it? Because you know, when people travel a lot they have a completely different perspective of life and it is completely different. It somehow the soul opens in such a astounding way. How do you then get back to England and lead a, let's say, different life to being so free? How did you manage to do that transition um it's difficult it was it was quite difficult I kept coming back and then I would run away again I would be this is fast this is frantic and and your what I'm seeing around me doesn't necessarily reflect the pace of my soul and the views in my heart so um I think that and not say I, I love this country and it's my home. So, but in comparison to a lot of other countries, uh, especially in the south, it's very fast. It's very fast. It's very busy. It's it's about doing the stuff, and it's doing the stuff great, but oof, that's exhausting. So I think I came back at one point and tried a job and um, refused to have a car. And I lived out in the countryside and to um, help slow everything down. I walked everywhere. So I would walk into my job. That would be about five miles from from the countryside into this job. I'd get up really early and, and walk mm. all the way into this, this job. I was doing... Uh, working for the police and I was opening their mail for uh, the speed cameras. So I get to read everyone's excuses for why they, they went through. Do the you know speed excuses? That's always handy to know. Sneezing. <laughs> I sneezed. I was in the middle of a sneezing trip. <laughs> no, actually the truth, I don't think any of them, any of them pulled muster. Maybe your wife's <laughs> pregnant and you're rushing her to hospital. Yes, yes, that's not a bad one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you so, came back and you tried that job, and then what happened? And then I, I went off and I, I found another job working in Italy. So working in Italy as a, a, a walking guide. And then... Well, that's rather lovely. Working in Andorra as a skiing guide, and then working in Norway as a walking guide and a skiing guide. I managed to, to avoid coming home for a while, for a long time. Um, but uh, during this time, I, I, I had osteopathy in the back of my head. I mm. knew about osteopathy by then. And um, 
I had a friend who had been treated by a cranial osteopath for um, vertigo. Mm -hmm. And that's how I came across it. And I had gone with this friend because vertigo can be really, um, can make you quite agoraphobic. You know, when you can't trust the ground, you don't want to leave the house. You, You want to stay inside. And so I would go with her to various different healers and, Chinese medicine and to the NHS, the nose and mouth specialists. And um, it was the osteopath that started to make a change for her. And I remember my heart just jumped. It, it glowed with just, you know, when you fall in love and, yes. and you get that, that run through your heart and, and that, to me has always been when that happens you know that things for you mm. you know that's a very clear indication in my my mind that you found a thing there and that thing is something that is is going to fit into your thing-shaped hole in your life and and the universe has kind of brought you along that's that's one of your the things you should be doing yeah um but uh, back then, to train as an osteopath, it's uh, it was a lot of money. Um, I've heard I think, that it's it's it runs into the thousands, doesn't yeah, it? I think it, it would. Uh, there was no help from the government. It wasn't recognised as something that they would give grants to. Uh, there was all self funding, so I was looking at probably a good thirty thirty thousand pounds, which certainly. I didn't have, and no one I knew was seemed to have it to give to me. Um, so you kind of just like go, oh well, <laughs> that amazing, that amazing feeling. Maybe, yes. maybe, <laughs> maybe another life. Maybe it was in another life. I, I, I get to be an osteopath, and you, you pack it away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I've since then gone away and done lots of moving around working in Norway and uh my dad sadly died um very close to him and he had a a really big heart attack and sadly we lost him he'd have not been aware of much himself but uh, we were all devastated and I came home and started to to kind of help my mum with my younger younger brother and sister mm-hmm. and had this this kind of period of space and mourning and time to reflect and in that period I started looking up osteopathy again and realized that it was now funded. I could get a loan for it and oh. they had only just started. So it's like that calling back to me to, to England um, by coincidence or just poetry or whatever. Um, it was round about the same time that we started to get funding for osteopathy. So that was it. That was like, yeah, 
And I how long did that? That's an amazing, you know, I don't believe in coincidences, Suzanne. I have to say to you, I no. think there's all this synchronicity going on in our life and everything around us has this plan, a greater plan that we are totally unaware of. But like you said, I love what you said. Um, it's like, you know, that feeling when something is right for you, you cannot put that into words. It's suddenly like all the stars have aligned and it's there to lead you to your path. That is, I find those moments remarkable. And with your osteopathy, how long was that course for? Um, I did a, <coughs> excuse me, I did a, 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 a kind of a, an access course into it. And so with the access course and the osteopathy, that was four, no, five years, five years in total. And then they say you have another 10 years where you really, you need to be working with the, the body for about 10 years. So it's about five years post, post-graduation that you start to really, really feel the tissues and, and start to palpate. We use the word palpation, which is to, to feel what's underneath and how the body moves and how the body responds. So you've got five years of college and then probably another five years of working in the field to really develop those osteopathic kind of senses. Now, for people out there that have heard of osteopathy, um, but there are so many out there, uh, people, Suzanne, that actually don't know what it actually means and what it entails. So for everybody out there who doesn't know, um, explain to us sort of in a paragraph, what is osteopathy? <laughs> I know because I say to, I'm going to my osteopath, I'm going to say, what's that? Is that a physio? Well, no, it's not. It's an osteopath. What do they do? I don't know. I have yet to work out the elevator pitch tour. <laughs> <laughs> Mimi, it's it's so it's so complex in some ways. I know, but in um, a paragraph, imagine I'm five and you're explaining it. Well, I think my people come to me because they're either in pain or they've been treated by an osteopath before and they want to stay um, in good in as much health as they possibly can. Uh-huh. I see my job as finding people's health and trying to hold a space for that, to expand into the patients to the fullest amount that it possibly can. But that's not helpful if you're fine and you want to understand. So from a structural point of view, um, yeah. I'm often kind of, from a pain patient point of view, I'm looking for the bits that don't move well, that aren't doing what they should do, and I'm wiggling them very cleverly. Um, but really what I'm doing is I'm getting them to wiggle and I'm getting them to move. 
and I'm getting the blood to flow in and for drainage to start happening and the underlying processes of the body, the physiological processes to start to come in and start to work a bit better, to start to perform, to start to be healthier. Mm -hmm. Um, The byproduct of that, which is really desirable, is that lots of patients stop feeling as much pain and they start to function better. They start to be able to go about their life um, a little easier. Um, I'll often talk about, you know, uh, the the tissues, uh, beef jerky, you know, we've kind of got this, this fillet steak state that we can be in when we're 70. And, you know, when we're a bit older, some things get a bit beef jerky. And then we're everything in between. (laughs) What's beef jerky? Beef jerky. It's... (laughs) Do you not know what beef jerky is? No. No. You've missed. How you've missed out. It's it's like dried. uh, It's it's a food. They get beef and they dry it. And it's kind of tough. And it lacks, because they've dried it, it it lacks fluid. And it lacks... um, bounciness so it's kind of basically that fillet steak dried so I'm not saying that my patients are like (laughs) I don't want to reverse (laughs) just stop digging now yeah I know reverse dig it's an it's an analogy I I use a lot when I'm speaking to my patients because they can feel it themselves when I'm I'm rubbing Mm. uh you know that bit between their shoulder blades Mm. and you know they go oh that's the bit that hurts and I rub my fingers over it and and it goes and and that's kind of the tissue is just a little bit we call it fibrotic but it's a bit beef jerky (laughs) And, I mean, and, um, and, and if we start to to free that tissue up, mm-hmm. it goes more fillet steak. Supple, but, supple. Yeah, so yeah. supple. And but you know, it's it, it's. Uh, Why do people eat beef jerky? Do you know what I reckon? It's it. It must go back to when you when you've slain a giant mammoth. And all you can really do is have a mouthful. <laughs> and you're left with the mammoth. And what are you going to do with that now? <laughs> you cut it up into little strips and you dry it out. Oh, and, um, <laughs> and now you've got mammoth jerky. Oh. And that, that will store for longer than the, the, the mammoth steaks. That, so I think yeah. that's, that's down to it. I think if you if you had a choice, you'd go with the uh, the normal steak, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, su- supple is, I think, the name of the game. I think that's where we want supple. to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I'd like this... to apologise to all my osteopathic <laughs> colleagues right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to look up me, Jerky. Not, not um, the best job of explaining osteopathy, I'm afraid. <laughs> 
We get the gist. We get the gist. Hang on, hang on, Mimi. I've got it in a notebook in front of me. I've prepared quite well here. Uh huh. Okay. (laughs) Let let me flick through to what I actually wrote that I was going to say. (laughs) Here we go. It's looking for health. It's the kind of intersection between the toxic load, the blood flow, the the drainage of tissues, the general disease and trauma that's come before, what environment and job we've had. We're looking at posture, the asymmetry. We might look at patient vitality. We might Mm. look at patients' beliefs, openness, their interconnectedness, their interoception, their sense of their own felt body, Um, you know, what their health is what their ancestors health is what grandma's health was like you know and all of this comes together to make up the patient and their health and we take all of that into consideration and then we put our hands on them and we feel what's underneath our hands and we might go oh that's a bit beef jerky there (laughs) and and that bit's a bit stuck and we might move them to try to improve that situation or we might work cranially where we it feels like we're not doing actually any moving of the tissues at all, but we're working quite deeply within the patient's system, um, working with the, the cerebrospinal fluids and the waves that kind of go on in the body. We kind of feel those. Um, we've got kind of a pulse that runs through the body with our blood and we've got a pulse that runs through our blood body with our breathing and our thorax but we've got other pulses that run through the body some of them through cerebrospinal fluid that encases the brain and the spinal cord and also from maybe the movement through the cells maybe the electronic magnet magnetic fields running through the body maybe from without but we feel this movement and we know it's connected to a patient's vitality and we know that improving that or giving it space to do its thing and hold it improves the patient's health um now that that's how how was that one that was, was that actually better? rather fantastic i have to say fabulous see what happens when i look at my notes yes well done but <laughs> in all honesty and in all seriousness i'm glad you mentioned the beef jerky because sometimes it's difficult for such a a therapy you know uh, which it is a therapy it's a whole um system it's a holistic um therapy that encompasses the whole human being but I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, joking aside the beef jerky, because it's something that people can associate with. It's difficult sometimes to understand, you know, I've got a pain in my back. Oh, it's because I lifted this or I don't know what that is. Mm. And you need to get through, I think, the beef jerky stage in order to say it feels a bit dodgy or, you know, I don't know what it is. I can't move my arm or my leg in order then for the healing process to open on many levels and that's something that I know that you do is that you work on so many different levels within the human being and we spoke we've spoken about this I know many times but um is the 
spiritual connected you know do you also work on that Suzanne as well as working fundamentally on the you know what seems to be the physical and you're putting things back and adjusting you know all sorts of things muscular and neurological but there must be a spiritual element to it surely well it's an interesting question um I don't think of myself as working on a patient's spiritual or soul side. That that isn't what I'm. My intention and my objection is when I'm I'm treating osteopathically. But when I am looking at a patient's health and I'm evaluating, maybe their prognosis how how much vitality how much ability does this patient have to to help themselves and and how they go about helping themselves there is a crossover um, that I think is is a conversation that maybe does need to happen within conventional medicine um, and within maybe what we do with osteopathy. Uh, certainly our soul and our spirit yeah. affects our health, even if um, we are atheists. You know, if we have no belief and our, our, our kind of church is science and fact and rationality, that in itself is, is part of your your soul that is that is your expression of that um so in essence no i'm not treating but i do know that it seems to have a very big part in patients health healing and um what we what we work with sometimes within the cranial fields um we're often talking about the patient's inner physician. So um, when you, you feel these rhythms, you end up kind of really questioning, well, I know I don't have an explanation in science for this. I know right. I felt that. I know the patient felt that. I know the patient's going to get better. I know my colleagues who treat this way feel that what is it it's uh, we can speculate as to what that is and we often talk about this inner physician this drive that the body has towards being well to be towards being healthy um and i just think it's fascinating i think it's a a, a really good conversation to have and and you know health medicine and spirituality they they are should be quite comfortable bed partners it's true and it doesn't matter what your belief system is on any sphere really but what does matter is that we believe in ourselves and we know how we feel you know we are the best doctors for our own body. Only we can know how we feel. But 
your work, Suzanne, I think enables people to have a closer proximity to their soul and to their physical being. Because I don't think one can function without the other unless they're in some sort of harmony. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of... If we look at whole health, what, what, mm. what goes up to make health in a, an individual? And we've got, you know, their physical health, that's that's part of what it is to be healthy um we might look at someone's mental health um their quality of life their life philosophy and then within that their their spiritual health and if we take away if spiritual health isn't isn't there even if that spiritual health is, you know, a, a belief in there being no spirit, but they're very happy and comfortable in that place. And that is their, you know, then, you know, we're missing a big picture, big part of the picture for, for helping them get better. And then we interact with that then. We interact with this inner physician. Um, when we treat and we've got to kind of wonder when we do something you know what is this inner physician and you know what is this drive towards health that the body has that's in it um and what do you think it is well i can <sighs> in your opinion of course mm. Oh, well, I mean, like from because I'm I'm trying to chat to this like an osteopath, but from a wider wider point of view, it's it's just that whole wonderful connectedness that we are here on this planet. We're we're all connected. Everything. It is of no surprise to me at all that we have something running in us and through us that that wants to bring us towards towards health. And us generally plodding around world is the world, the world. wants to bring us towards a better uh, a better life, wants us to do what we find makes us happy, wants us to live in this world in a, a good way. Um, yeah, I, d I don't have... It's all sounding a little bit Pollyanna, but um, you know what I, I mean. I love Pollyanna. Yeah, she's a girl with a good attitude there. I love Pollyanna. <laughs> so I'm no guru. I'm, I'm just a little kind of little starlight myself. Trooping through this world, trying to make, make sense of it. But um, I know what resonates with me. And, mm. you know, generally... Uh, there is this push towards towards us being in the right place and being content when we're doing the right things. We're happy. You find the right job, you're happy. And the universe just obliges. It, it will send you the right things at the right time if you listen to it. 
Um, and the, I think that's the same way with the health in the body. If you, you hold a space for it um, and you take away the blocks, whether they're physical or not, and you also, for some reason in the body, it, it, it really likes you to know that you know it. So it, it, it's important that it has your attention. If I thought you're the healer or the osteopath, it's it, your intention and your attention are quite important to it. So maybe outside in, in the bigger world, as we try to make the best fist of it as possible, um, yeah. our attention and our intention are really important. So, uh, for instance, I fall asleep. I call it falling asleep. I think we all do it. So you kind of, you're alive, you're on it, you, you're in tune with life. And suddenly you wake up four months later and you're like, what happens? <laughs> you know, yeah. I've just gone a little bit blindfold through four months of my life. And I was like really on it. I was, I was wide awake and I was creating my own magic. And then you fall asleep and then you wake up four months later, four years later, and then you realise, ah, okay, course correction. I've obviously started doing what the radio and the television and society is kind of scripted for me. And then you have a course correction and you go, all right, ah, let's go live in the countryside or, you know, let's, let's, let's go and live on an island somewhere and... and join a monastery that seems to suddenly be what <laughs> you know what what yeah. what I'm being guided to do and then maybe you fall asleep again um and I think that's maybe that's going on there when we're healing in the body sometimes you know it, it wakes up and when you pay attention to it because there is a certain love I was talking to somebody um yesterday and they said to me, everyone seems to be in some form of a lull. And when you look around, there is this sort of, um, I don't know if it's a deep sleep, what it is. And then a friend of mine uh, sent me a video from Spain and they were doing flamenco dancing. And I thought, well, they're not in a lull. They're awake. They're living life. Yeah. So my question is, Suzanne, what is that spark that ignites that love, that passion for life, that awake type of state where you're awakened to yourself? Because I think if you're walking around in a love, you're asleep to yourself because when you're dancing flamenco, for example, or you're watching the dancers of flamenco, they are, it was fabulous actually, um, seeing her and seeing them dancing. It sort of made me smile and smile. And I thought, my goodness, you know, there's still that out there in the world. And I love the dresses, the lovely yes, they amazing? petticoats flashing. Oh. What great movements. Yes. 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 So what is it that I suppose puts us to sleep to the point where we don't even hear the music? 
in order to dance this dance of life? Oh, that's a good one. Have you have you noticed that we all kind of seem to fall asleep over the last couple of years? Yeah, the coronavirus. I'm having yeah. this conversation a lot with people where they're saying, <laughs> kind of observing as they try to work out when was the last time I had Christmas with my mother, or I can't. When did I last go on holiday? And it mm. seems like it. It even though it was two years plus ago, the two years seems to have kind of gone in a snap. And there's this yeah. sense of it feels like it was last year because last year was or that was the year before coronavirus stuck and so yeah. it, it seems a bit like in people's perspective sense that two years have just zipped by even though probably during lockdown for some of us it, it really dragged but um yeah so we all just quickly slept through that bit <laughs> or maybe yeah. um but what puts us to sleep? And then what wakes us up, you know? I mean, watching that video, I, I, I think delighted. I, I, I was so excited to watch it. I think it also probably goes with the individual. I think a lot of, um, gosh, the media and television and mm. and stuff that isn't, natural to how we were designed so you know we 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 go back to paleolithic times uh you know that's we're meant to be outside under big bright starry skies with the mud between our toes under trees yeah. listening to the birds being with the animals and and we're in this uh world we've created that's very clever and and very convenient and, and very productive, but uh, I think it sends us asleep as far as that uh, soul awakening is concerned, that bit of waking up and going, ah, oh, right, what was I doing again? Yes, I was journeying mm. towards happiness and I was making good decisions in my life and I was deciding to follow my intuition and then this kind of, heavier environment around us sends us to sleep again and I think as to what wakes us up um yeah we uh, I think when you you haven't ever really done it before it's normally a big kick up the bum yes um and then when you start to listen and you start to pay attention um it can be you know a bit kinder because you're already slightly you're not completely asleep you're, you're a little bit easier to wake up and you can see I, I think I call it sometimes it's like life's in the corner going hello and they're having a little kind of wave at you and they wink at you and you go oh what was that yeah oh gosh yeah crikey I fell asleep again you know <laughs> what is it's, it it's a dangerous thing yeah. though it's a dangerous thing, I think, to fall asleep. I, I feel that. I've always felt that you have to be alert. And there are times for being still, of course, and to let go. 
But I think we have to be awake and alert to our own state of being at all times, whether that be in this, you know, meditation state, whether that be in walking, in talking. I think we have to have this self-awareness consistently in order to keep ourselves awake. I remember one of my earliest memories is my grandparents had these weird friends and they were so strange and they were really asleep. And I remember, I don't know, I was about four or five sitting, they had this farm and I was sitting on this fence. I remember looking at these people and thinking, I never want to be like that. They haven't got a clue about life. And it was because they were asleep, in effect. And that's why I think it's important never to sort of lose sight of that horizon of where you're going, that discipline. Because then everyone then can do whatever they want with you. They can steer you in any direction. And your mind wanders as opposed to us being completely alert in that moment. I don't know, Mimi. I um, I'm a little bit more compassionate to myself in that I actually recognise I'm going to fall asleep. It's going to happen. I might not fall mm. asleep for long, but it's, it is, it's a high vibration you're asking yourself to maintain staying staying totally awake and uh i i think we you know we, we come across this these individuals that are meant to be fully awakened and we have the awakening you know we've got this uh buddha was an awakened being and uh jesus was and we have this uh, well, apparently more and more awakenings are happening. But to actually maintain that awakeness, that's, that's hard work if you're not actually vibrating at that level. So It is. It is hard work, but, but it becomes not hard work if you actually just become in that state of being without actually forcing it for it to become a way of life in a, in a way. I, I've spoken about this before, but um, it's one of, one of my greatest lessons in life is when I went to the tomb of, you know, the great Jalaluddin Rumi, the mystic yes. and the poet. Yeah. And I remember visiting so many of these places and, you know, like yourself, you go on a journey and it's it's a consistent journey through life, in fact. But I remember sitting at the tomb in, in Konya in Turkey, and it's one of the most beautiful places. And I remember I had all these questions on this piece of paper. And I wanted to ask, you know, to be inspired for the answers to my life. And every single answer that I felt in my heart was to love. And yes, but what about this? Just love. And what about this? Just love. And in the end, I got a bit frustrated because I thought, well, 
I know I'm one of these people who truly believe in that, you know, that we are beings of love. But I didn't quite understand the message. And then when I came away from there, I had this moment and I heard this voice in my heart and it said, it is not enough to love or be loved. You must become love, but you are already love. So this state of being awake, I sort of, it's a similar thing. You become that state. It's where you will resonate. It's where you will vibrate consistently. And then you never fall asleep. What a wonderful place to vibrate in. To vibrate in love. That sounds yes. lovely. Yes. Yeah, I um I get that. I get get to I, I remember coming across some Buddhist meditations that I, I would try doing um well try doing I was doing uh, where you meditate on compassion. So mm -hmm. I, I love compassion. I love compassion for myself and for others. That seems to to really kind of strike a chord with my my inner self and to just try to hold yourself in that state of compassion. Um, yes. And then, unfortunately for me, I have to take the kids to school. <laughs> and then I temporarily fall asleep. <laughs> and, then, and then I come back. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm probably not you 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 may be further down the road. <laughs> and at the moment I don't know I what cannot... road. I don't know what road I'm down. But it, it's just as long as we're traveling down the road and we're sort of yeah. moving in a direction Absolutely. that feels um that you feel at peace with and you feel serene with. I think that's the best that we can do is yeah. to um have that serenity that is what I'm doing I always say to myself is that going to be bringing you peace to your life no not really well then stop it yeah, and I yeah. have been strict with myself and as you said sometimes you can go off course and then you get a completely different direction you get thrown in that direction because you weren't listening you weren't looking um and I think the older we get the tougher the lessons become. And you know what? Sometimes maybe you needed that lesson and you don't Absolutely. understand it yet. You, you yeah. had to go and discover something about yourself and your patterns and maybe what your soul's been up to in previous lives. And yeah, you, you needed to move on a little bit from that. So you needed, you needed a bit of anaesthetizing. So you fell asleep and fell down that that particular particular ravine yes and sometimes you know I believe that um we're blindfolded at times when we're crossing that treacherous river or you know the treacherous ravines you somehow you know you are blindfolded to that moment so that you're able to cross because 
you know, life is treacherous at times. And it takes a lot of courage sometimes to even get up in the morning and put your clothes on and go and lead a life that day. It's a huge amount of courage at times. I have this saying I love to use. It's not very positive, but it's, okay, not, go easy. On. it's not easy here on planet Earth. <laughs> it's not easy. It's and well done, all of us. Yes. <laughs> We're Let's doing give a cracking job. A big round of applause. <laughs> yes, 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 indeed. <laughs> we got Hooray. up, we showed up. We're here. <laughs> I'd say there's a lot of other souls that um, decided that nah, that's nah, not for me. I'll sit this one out. You lot yes. go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fact that we, we decided all... to come. We decided yeah, we to came. Come. <laughs> we showed up. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what prize we're getting, but anyway, I think we're going to get something very worthwhile. You know, the famous saying, whoever brought me here will have to take me home. And yes. that's, that's definitely the truth. But I wanted to ask you, Suzanne, about, you spoke about compassion. Do you think that, um, for example, with your work, and it's a very deep work, do you think that your life experiences and what you've been through in your life have given you the ability to be compassionate towards other people oh certainly absolutely yes I think I was a very sensitive child so I don't think my childhood was any uh, way remarkably unpleasant but uh, I was probably quite a wide open uh, sensitive heart and uh, kind of came out of childhood thinking I just don't want anyone to feel pain <laughs> yeah. because of my own sensitivities etc and uh, yeah that, that has been a, a, a big motivator to, to just to just I think within social work it's like a, emotional pain and social pain and then within osteopathy, it's that physical pain and and all the other stuff that, that comes with it. Um, compassion is, is key, you know, and you've got to have yeah. compassion for, for people who you might think sometimes don't deserve it, you know, or, or they've done wicked things or... You need to sometimes step back with compassion and try and see that wider picture. You don't excuse it, you know, and, mm. but you have to see sometimes with compassion in your heart. Uh, I don't like meanness. Uh, and I know there's that, that, that exists in life, etc. But as a rule around me in my life, my friends, those that are around me, um, you can be all kinds of shapes of human being. As long as you're not mean, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's a great journey. And then even for those that are, 
that's I have compassion. I have compassion there to to try and understand what what led to that. You speak of being sensitive as a child. Yes. And did that carry on into your adult life? And how was that dealing with that as, I suppose, I mean, are you an empath? Yes. Would you say? Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. So that's difficult sometimes to, um, I suppose, be in the world. How did you cope as a child and then into adulthood having these great sensitivities? I think I'm quite uh, a comedian. So there's an awful lot of laughing, laughing things off if you can't laugh at yourself. Um, Yeah. So... But I think my my big wound when I was a child was uh, a learning wound. So that was the big one that kind of seemed to run through a lot of it. And uh, I'm quite severely dyslexic and I never got the, uh, the, oh, what do you call it? The diagnosis until I was in my mid 30s even though much earlier than that it had been talked about. Um, but there was uh, there was lots of kind of learning traumas going on when, when people were trying to understand why I couldn't perform as well as the other kids around me. Um, and when I say people, I mean my, my, my mum and dad, God bless them. <laughs> um, I think my dad was dyslexic as well. And he probably taught me how to read with the same uh, impatience that the priests had probably taught him. Right, Um, okay. And then the schooling system back in the 70s uh, wasn't wasn't ideally set up at at recognising or supporting. So I was sent off to or they they wanted to send me to a school for people with uh, learning disabilities um and my parents fought hard and got tests done and said look she's quite bright this this obviously kind of not not that going on so uh i was then the lazy and the stupid one so the let she well or not the stupid one the lazy one (laughs) So I think that kind of got in under my skin. You know, that made me quite sad, you know, that um, I'd got this label and I still had this frustration of trying to kind of communicate or learn to read and write and spell. Oh, goodness me. Put a spelling test in front of me. I will go into fight and flight immediately. yeah yeah so I think that's that's kind of and that that process through through life but you know uh, even with that osteopathy I you know I'm I was uh, when I was studying uh, biophysics they sent me off to the psychology department there to say you know clearly you are so go to our great psychology department they're running loads of tests and um 
they 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 would be delighted to have some dyslexics to kind of work with and, and test. So I went along, and one of the things that came out is that I was a kinesthetic learner. So where mainly we have the five senses: smell, taste, sound, and vision. So sound and vision are uh, the main ways that most people will take in their information and then they'll have a secondary one to back mm-hmm. up maybe taste that one's a bit weird but uh kinesthesia that that's that's a much smaller group there are lots of us out there but it's a smaller group compared to vision but that was my my main one and of course kinesthesia i use every single day in every single way within osteopathy that's that's exactly how I take in my information. It's just quite hard to spell using kinesthesia. I'm surprised you can say it. I, I wouldn't be able to say it. I feel that that word looks. <laughs> I feel that that word spelt right. It just doesn't doesn't work as a learning a learning approach. It's it's not good. So then what happened? You, how did you cope with um, having this label attached to you? How did you overcome this, in effect, mountain? Well, the label wasn't, the lazy label was attached to me. Dyslexia kind of wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I was taken out, I was put into another school. I um, then got very good at art and drama and science and kind of anything that I could avoid doing writing for became Mm -hmm. quite quite kind of um my thing um science particularly um but then science also really really fitted my because I questioned wanted to know the answer to anything if you asked me when a kid when I was a kid what would be your definition of heaven my definition of heaven was to finally know the answer to everything. Um, and I always say that quite ironically now, because now we've got Wikipedia. And so <laughs> apparently I am now in heaven. <laughs> Are you? Anything like I imagined. <laughs> uh, it never is, Suzanne, yeah. it never is. <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, yeah, so the dyslexia kind of, um, the, the, uh, my dad, when dyslexia testing was at, like up, spoken about at, at the upper school, he didn't want me to do it because he thought it made me uh, lazy. I'd stop trying. Um, and I think he was kind of seeing it through, through his eyes. I now know very, very different. Um, my son's dyslexic and he'll, he'll get absolutely everything every bit of help I can give him and uh yeah but you know he meant well he was doing kind of what what he thought was best uh and how did I I cope with it I I just got very good at other things and you if you're quite smart anyway you adapt to become what they call quite adaptive so Mm. if I had to read I would read very slowly and very expressively. Um, but if you ask me what I've just read, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> I'd have forgotten it. Yeah, yeah. And if I uh, had to spell, 
what I used to do is I would write tiny, so tiny that you couldn't tell what vowels I was writing down or oh. even what what adjectives were. If they had long tails like these or, you know, bees, that they would all look the same. They would be written in tiny. And I used to get these really, uh, you know, those pop-up pencils. So they're like pens and you can get like, 0.5 of a mil thickness and I would uh, yes. write in these tiny little points the most minuscule writing with like these great big long tails so you know there was an indication that there was actually some letters going on in there yeah that was and, very and, clever of you and no one would know <laughs> that, that know actually that, was very clever of that you that was an a or an i or an o or a u <laughs> yeah yeah, and then spells. I mean, like, push. now we've got spell check. Wow, that's brilliant. And <laughs> audio books and all this text to speak. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, yeah, just the, the world is so different now. It is indeed. And do you feel like you belong more in the world now as an adult? oh that would be supposing that I didn't feel like I belonged in the world so uh yeah I think I always felt like I belonged here um but uh I think the world's got a nicer place for dyslexics I had a a, a discussion on the with the school today uh regarding my son and uh the amount of stuff that he could have and the support and the understanding and the amount that they were there ready to offer. He's even got this wonderful little stool, his fidget stool. So he can kind of, you know how you rock back on your chair at school? Yeah. You know, you're bored, you're rocking back, someone ticks the leg out and you you land on your coccyx, then you can't yes. see an osteopath. <laughs> but, you know, so he, he, he's, he kind of, you know, he's quite kinesthetic himself. So you ask him a question, he has to do five bunny jumps and a star jump in order to answer the question. And, and so he's, they've, they've got these little wobble chairs for, for the kinesthetic kids. So they uh -huh. are, can safely wobble all the way through their lessons. And, and kind of burn off that, that energy. Um, absolutely brilliant stuff. That That's incredible. Yeah, I want one. I need one. I need a little wobble chair. <laughs> and what happens on this wobble chair? You wobble. You wobble. It's just basically a, uh, you know how you have the Swiss balls, the Swiss exercise balls? Oh, um, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you can sit on a Swiss exercise ball and kind of yeah. roll around a little bit, but it, it, it's not that sturdy. And, you know, you have to work quite hard with your core strength to keep on it. Oh. These wobble chairs might have like a, a fifth of a, a kind of a ball on the bottom. And then they're just this tall, quite rigid stool with a nice soft bit to sit on at the top. So while you're sitting on them, they're like a cylinder 
and you can kind of roll around one way and the other. You can't see it, but I'm doing it right now. <laughs> but oh. yeah, and so you can rock back on it, rock forward on it. They are brilliant. I'll bring you one, Mimi. Yes, this is so interesting. See, see if I can smuggle one out of the school and bring it to us. <laughs> yes, this is so interesting. And what does that actually help with? I think if you're some some kids, we have to just be active. You know, we're, we have to get the pencil in our fingers and we have to be flicking it and twirling it and twisting it. If I'm if I was doing a lecture. Mm. I'd have to get a bit of plasticine or blue tack and I would have the blue tack in my hands, like a little fidget thing. Um, oh. And I'd be making little square, square, circle, triangle, square, circle, triangle, maybe little mouse, you know, and I would be sculpting with this. So one part of my brain would be occupied in the fidget and then that meant that the rest of my brain could clue into what was being talked to me about. And that seemed to make all the difference. Otherwise, the bit of my brain that wasn't being taken up by the fidget would be uh -huh. outside the window, walking around in the street, kind of wondering what that bus noise was or who's that chatting oh, you know okay. or what was that that just went past yes and, yeah. and and so um and so I think kind of when when you're really young that manifests a little bit maybe like you know doing bunny jumps and twirling and you know staring Aww. off into space and you know kind of or running yeah. around <laughs> running, running around the, the living room five times before you come back to give the answer <laughs> well, you know I find it fascinating because I have some friends and um they live in Germany and they have a Rudolf Steiner school oh wonderful schools yes and it, this actually now reminds me of what you're saying because their son um, also just could not get on in a mainstream school. So they did a lot of research in <coughs> a Steiner school and he's absolutely excelled there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's why it's fascinating for me. I, I often talk about, um, you know, we, we have a triangular shape, a school system that's set up for triangular shaped people. You know, could be round, could be, but let's let's just go with triangles. And then we've got some kids, a lot of kids that are triangular shaped. They fit nicely into the triangular shaped school system. But then we have circles and we have squares and, and, and little stars. And they're coming along and they're trying to fit themselves and jamming themselves through that triangular shaped yeah. school system. And and they, they manage it because they're brilliant. Mm. Uh, but it didn't work out for them as well as the triangular shaped children that yeah. makes sense and it so, makes sense actually I think that's what people are like yeah in, in, all shapes and sizes you yeah. know as you said and you it, it can't be that everyone's the same and not everything applies to everyone and a lot of the anxiety that happens in life I think is that we compare ourselves and well, that is a game that you never win at. Um, 
But when we stop comparing and accept that we are either triangle or circle or star shape, like you said, we accept ourselves entirely. I think that's the point that we've reached that sort of equilibrium within ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. When you don't care, everybody. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't mean in a bad care. way, but like you're just like totally um, so happy with who I am. <laughs> yes. so I'm all right. I don't need to change it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I wish, you know what, Suzanne? I wish that more people, you know, could do that. Just be themselves the world would be such a wonderful place. I sometimes think it isn't it the trade-off you get though by getting by getting older. You're you're young, you're uncertain, you look gorgeous, you have fantastic health, but you're really neurotic and you don't know who you are in the world. And then you get older, you put on weight, you're slightly more grey hair, a bit saggier, but you're full of wisdom and you're really sure of yourself. And, and that's that's the trade-off. That's the, that's, the, that's the trade-off. I don't know, because I know so many young and saggy people who haven't got a bloody clue. But, yeah, now that's where life's been cruel. Yeah, that's where it's not fair. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah, no, that's, that's, you've got to have compassion, Mimi. Well, that's where it comes in, absolutely. Oh, dear Suzanne, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, really. Um, honestly, you know I could talk to you forever. I know, we've been here until midnight. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on your show. You've do, you're doing a wonderful thing here, Mimi. They are brilliant chats and I hope it makes some people smile and uh, there's lots of wisdom in your guests so well done you as well oh thank you and there's so much wisdom within you Suzanne and I know that there's so much more that you know and um, can share with us and anytime you would like to come on again please do so you know don't hesitate fantastic I'll write more notes (laughs) <laughs> no notes, no notes. <laughs> but before you go, before you go, I want to ask you, where can people find out? Um, do you have a website, more about your work, what you do, who you are? Yes. If you want to find more out about what I'm doing and where I am, I have a website called Natural Solutions. Um the Ooh, hang on a moment. My, let me just move that. There we go. Natural solutions at dot healthcare.com. So, what is it? www. Oh, I think so. Let me, I should know this. Is. This is my big chance. Blown it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't. Come on. Natural solutions dot healthcare. Okay. All right. And, and that's um, your. I'd say yeah. that's probably www dots and uh, dot healthcare. So it's www dot naturalsolutions dot healthcare. That's it. Rather than a, a UK or a, a com, we've got. That I've one. never seen that before, actually. Yeah, yeah, they're they're cheap. 
Oh. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. No. <laughs> it's just naturalsolutions.com and naturalsolutions.co.uk was taken. So we went with yes. healthcare and it, it you know, it, it's it's pretty much what we are. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, well that's a good it's a good title actually. It yeah. actually defines what you do. And um before you go, one more thing, one more thing. A little bit of wisdom on your part for the listeners out there, Suzanne, please, where something that has helped you in your life and continues to help you, to serve you, some advice for people out there that are struggling. A lot of people out there are struggling. You know, we all have our moments. What would you say to them? Oh, you've got to be compassionate to yourself and to others. Um, don't be so hard on ourselves. And, and it's, it's that the, we're on a journey. We don't have to get there straight away. We don't have to have it all figured out. Um, trust. Trust we're going to going to end up where we need to be and enjoy it enjoy the journey enjoy the ride um but be compassionate to yourself and others while you're you're on it that that's a lot. beautiful advice actually <laughs> good it's not so easy to do no but we can aspire to that yeah yeah we certainly can oh well i wish you a beautiful evening and again, thank you so much for joining me. It really, I've, I've had such a good time and such a laugh and I've learned so much actually also from you. So I'm very grateful to you. You too, Mimi. You take care. Thank you. Bye. And take care. Bye. Bye. Suzanne Morgan, what an absolutely lovely lady. Thank you, as always, for joining me and my beautifully wonderful guests. You are so appreciated. Until next time, look after yourselves and lots and lots of love. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website www.miminovik.co.uk